All right, this morning uh, we're beginning a new series uh, that will last through the summer called Water Walking. It's a study in faith and risk. A study in faith and risk based on the Gospel of Matthew chapter 14, which we'll be getting to in just a moment. Uh, We want to start by agreeing on the meaning of some terms. And if you have sermon notes and like to follow along, I encourage you to do that. A common language brings unity. It brings uh, understanding. I think it really brings clarity. And so it's very important to define the words that we're using, especially in today's world. Uh, Words can mean different things to different people. So uh, we begin by defining some terms, some terms. And let's start with the word risk. If this is a a series on faith and risk, let's start there. Uh, What is the meaning of risk? Well, first of all, it's exposure to the chance of injury or loss, if you're following along in your sermon notes. Anybody else need sermon notes, by the way? Good. They're coming. Great. So, exposure to the chance of injury or loss. So there's, there's an element here of danger of sorts. Secondly, it's a dangerous undertaking. A dangerous undertaking. So that will become uh, the definition Uh, of the word risk as we're using it throughout this series. So there is this idea of being exposed to something we might not be able to control or get our head around, or also a dangerous undertaking. Okay, So risk, that's where we begin. So if that's risk, what then is a risk taker? What is a risk taker by definition? If we know what the word risk means, what then is a risk taker? We're defining it like this. A willingness to do things that involve danger or risk, so mentioned above, in order to achieve a goal. And that's uh, what gets important. Uh, A risk taker is someone who's going to be exposed to this dangerous element, uh, perhaps failure, perhaps a lot of sacrifice, in order to achieve a goal. Okay? To make sure we're all on the same page here. Like, uh, for example, if you've ever watched the X Games and, and uh, uh, these guys are doing all kinds of weird, weird stuff. But they're not doing that just to do it. They're doing it to earn a medal and hopefully a gold medal. So a risk taker is one that uh, is doing something that is perhaps dangerous or risky. But they're doing it with great intent and purpose in order to achieve a goal. Okay? We're just laying the foundation here. Now, this differs quite drastically from being being a thrill seeker. There are some of you that are thrill seekers. There's a part of me that's also a thrill seeker. Someone who does things that can be dangerous just because they like the feeling of excitement that it gives them. Whoa! Right? Uh, We get a rush from that. Uh, If we're addicted to it, we become adrenaline junkie, and we're just doing thrill-seeking things all the time, waiting for that next rush uh, to happen. And maybe this is what comes to mind uh, when you think of a thrill-seeker. This guy uh, really isn't brilliant. Um, Can you read that? Yeah. Okay. All right. So... If, if we're here now, we're, we're defining these words, risk and a risk taker. 
A risk taker is not a thrill seeker because a risk taker has a goal in mind. And in order to achieve that goal, I have to systematically take these risks to achieve it. Otherwise, I won't get there. I'm not just thrill-seeking, I'm not just doing it because it's cool or because it gives me a rush. I'm doing it with great intent and purpose. So let's uh, put this, uh, now look at it from a different perspective, the opposite. What's the opposite of risk and risk-taking? That's called being risk-averse, not adverse, averse. Risk-averse. So what is risk-averse? That is someone who's reluctant or hesitant to take risks. We don't like risks, so uh, I'm not going to take risks. Or secondly, tending to avoid risks as much as possible. This person is risk-averse. Okay? So that's the opposite of risk-taking. Now, let's put this together. In your chart, you have that there. Let's compare these two kind of side-by-side, risk-averse or risk-taking. In risk-averse situation, the focus is on the short term. Generally speaking, the focus is on the short term. I am not looking down the road because I don't want to see the risks that are there. I've got enough on my plate right now, so uh, I don't really have the capacity or desire to look more than the immediate. Therefore, uh, I'm not going to do anything risky because I'm just going to keep plodding along day by day, doing basically the same kinds of things because that's more secure. Risk-taking, on the other hand, is going to focus on the long term. In other words, there's a goal out there that I'd like to achieve, or collectively, we'd like to achieve, and my eyes are on that goal, not on each step to get there necessarily, because there's going to be ups and downs as I move towards that goal, but my eyes are focused on that which is ahead, the goal that I have. Risk-averse person has this strong fear of failure. What if it doesn't work? What if... Uh, I fall short. What if it doesn't make people happy? What if, what if, what if? And so the idea, the attitude here is uh, I'm kind of held bondage uh, by that idea of a fear of failure. On the other hand, uh, the risk taker is going to have vision of opportunities. I can see what could happen. I can see how life could be different. I, I could see how God, in a spiritual sense, could work through me. Uh, because I'm looking at the long-term vision. I'm looking out there. And so that's what's driving me of a vision. is not the way things are, but way, the way they could be through Christ. Huh. So, a risk-averse has a culture of routine and control. Risk-averse people like to be in control. They like to know what's going to happen tomorrow. They like to know what's going to happen for the next meal. They like to know uh, what, the, what the next thing is on the agenda, right? And so uh, there's this culture then uh, of routine and control. And if you break me out of my routine, that makes me very uncomfortable. And therefore, I don't like it. Okay, that's cool. I get that, all right? On the other hand, risk-taking involves a culture of creativity and change. Rather than being static, it's fluid. It's always changing. And we've got to get comfortable with change because our lives are going to change. You've seen that over the last four months. Everything's gotten blown up, right? And if we're risk-averse, we're in big water because we're going to pull in and nothing's the same as it was. And so, risk-averse. 
often bound by fear, held in bondage by fears. On the other hand, faith is a key element for those who are risk-taking. I'll explain that in just a moment, how these concepts fit together. Okay? And what we want to do is be freed from the fear to see our world and our lives as God sees them. Much different view. Much different view. And so we look at risk averse, often complacent and stuck. I like the routine. I don't want to rock the boat. Um, so I'm just going to kind of just cruise along day by day. They're complacent and stuck, oftentimes, in the same routines. On the other hand, risk-taking involves learning and growing, constantly changing and evolving in the right sense of the word, growing in Christ and in his image for us. Okay, any questions about that chart? Everybody got that? Agree, disagree? These are just very broad generalizations as we define terms. Okay, thoughts, comments? Okay, we'll keep pushing then. Let me say this about that risk is not recklessness. When I define the word risk, understand there is a goal out there, but that doesn't mean I'm going to be reckless in getting to that goal. So those words are not synonyms. Risk is not recklessness. Risk is not only emotional. It is also, when done correctly, rooted in logic. We don't disengage our brain when we're taking a risk, right? Risk is calculated. Risk is also a carefully and prayerfully considered spiritual choice. Let me explain that. A large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and said to them, If you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. But don't begin until you count the cost. Highlight that. Don't begin until you count the cost. He's saying, think through this. Think through this. Don't begin until you first have counted the cost. Just don't jump in, right? Sit down, calculate, think through it. Hmm. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone would laugh at you. They'd say, there's that guy who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. <laughs> Talk about risk management. Here's risk management. It's not only emotional, it's logical. Risk involves logic. Now, the building builder took a risk, but weighed all the factors to make sure, hey, I can finish the project. I can finish the project. Likewise, following Jesus is a huge risk. Do you understand that? If I were outside looking in, I'd say, you guys are weird. I'd say, you're really weird. You're taking a huge risk with your life. You are. Are you kidding me? You trust in someone you can't see. Who requires you to carry your own cross, this invisible cross, and symbolically die to yourself in order to live for him. And you can't see any of this. And you're going off of some stuff written two, three thousand years ago. Really? Are you serious? You can't see it, but you believe it. I'd say that's pretty risky business. Following Jesus is a risk. And that's why it says, in that context of the building, the whole idea was he was turning crowds away. 
and saying, if you want to be my disciple, <laughs> you've got to give it all up and follow me. It's risk. It's definitely a risk. Have you taken that risk to follow Jesus? I hope that you have. I've taken that risk. And I found it to be spot on. Have you taken that risk? To follow him? Huh. Okay. Now, I found that life is a continuous risk-taking process that goes something like this. We're living our lives, and then something happens. Now, we have a choice to respond to that. often involves risk, no matter which decision that we make. And so I look at that risk, and I say, okay, I'm going to decide this. And because of that decision that I've made, there is either success or failure. And at that moment, I have taken the risk, I have taken the step, and sometimes risk doesn't turn out so well. But you know what? If it's done for God, even failure becomes success. That's the beauty of following Jesus right? Not just doing whatever we want whenever we feel like doing it, uh, but making sure we're following his plan. And sometimes his plan leads to failure, at least from our perspective. But is it failure in his perspective? And so we get in this and we come to risk and then we, then we can grow and learn either from the success or the failure, then rinse and repeat and do it again and again and repeat again and again and again. And life is just like that, right? Here comes the next risk that life will throw at us. But let me say this. Advancing the kingdom of God requires risk. There's no question about that. Advancing the kingdom of God requires risk. We are attempting to change the world by God's love, a God we can't see, that you believe in off some stuff written thousands of years ago. Uh, That is fairly risky in my opinion. Change is impossible without risk. Change is impossible without risk, yet change is required to follow God's plan. So what does that mean? What about God? Do you think God is a risk taker? That's not rhetorical. You can answer. Do you think God is a risk taker? Now, some of a certain theological persuasion would say, no, God is not much of a risk taker because he knows the beginning from the end. He knows all about it anyway, so he's not taking a risk because he's the one that planned it all. I don't look at it like that. I do agree with that statement that God knows it all and that he's planned it all. But I look at it from God's perspective for a moment. No doubt he took a big risk when he took on flesh and blood and he crossed the great chasm of time and space and clothed himself in frail humanity. That was risky. That was risky. And what did that risk lead to? They killed him, right? His name is Jesus. I think God took a really, really big risk by giving humans a choice, the choice to reject him, not just once, but hour by hour and day by day to reject him. In the firmament, the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. And many shout out, no, no, don't want any part of that. Can't be true, can't be true. It seems to me God has risked much with us as creation. That God is a risk taker by nature just by giving us the ability to choose things. That seems risky. On the other hand, most of us do everything we can to reduce the element of risk in our lives. Now, if God, by character and nature, is a risk taker, we, on the other hand, do everything we can to avoid possible risk. How many of you buckled your seatbelt when you drove into 
into church this morning. Okay, why? Why did you do that? Well, because I'm supposed to. Because Officer Fickett or Officer Pete are, are going to arrest me if I'm not wearing one, right? Or give me a ticket, right? Okay, that's part of it. Submit to authority, right? That's cool. That's always a very, very good thing to do. We wear our seatbelts. We watch what we eat. We exercise. We keep away from dangerous places. We do all kinds of things so that we can reduce the element of risk in our lives. That can also begin to impact us spiritually, and we also attempt to reduce the spiritual risk in our lives. But God is a risk taker by nature and if we have the nature of christ in us we should be risk takers but if we're doing everything that we can to avoid risk of any kind in our lives we're missing the plan of god and the fullness of seeing him work in miraculous kinds of ways okay so the bible god's word tells the story of how peter took a risk with jesus that would change his life forever and that's where we're going to end up for the next couple of months it happened on water how many of you here enjoy being on the water a lot of you do right maybe it's a lake a river a pool an ocean how many of you have ever been on a boat on the water most everyone how many of you have ever walked on water Yep, I have. Yep, yep. I'm from a place called up north. Up north. And the water is frozen there for many months of the years. I don't know if you're aware of that. Uh, (laughs) But you can actually walk on water, right? Because it's frozen. Set you up with that one, didn't I? Now, the Bible records an account of some water walking that we're going to spend some time looking at. This is going to be a great study. So, uh, we're going to read, or I'm going to read it for you. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 14, 22 to 33. I'm not putting this on the screen because I prefer you bring a Bible, either a book Bible or an electronic Bible, right? Wherever, whatever your device of choice is. But I think it's important that you look at the Word of God and that you highlight and underline and do whatever you need to do. Right? Here's Matthew 14, 22 to 33. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up to the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble, far away from land, for a strong wind had risen. They were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, It's a ghost! But Jesus said to them at once, Don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. Then Peter called him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yeah, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over to the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sing, Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why do you doubt me? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshipped him. You really are the Son of God, they exclaimed. So here we go. This will be our passage for the next couple of months. Ready to dig in? Okay, let's get started. The context is important for us to understand this passage of Scripture. Uh, We say immediately after this, 
what had just happened. It's always very, very important to put the scripture in context. If you look in your Bibles, you tell me what had happened just before this. Not everybody at once, one at a time, okay? He fed how many? 5,000 people. How many loaves of bread did he have? And how many little teeny fishes? Two. Five loaves of bread and two small fish. Actually, if the number of women and children were to be included, that number conservatively is over 15,000 people. That's a lot of people to feed with. Five small loaves and two teeny fishes, right? So it was a great miracle. The only one recorded in all four Gospels, right? So it was a big deal. It's a big deal. Gospel John says, When the people saw Jesus do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, Surely he is the prophet we've been expecting. Woohoo! He's here. This is the guy that we have been waiting for. Jesus, you the man. You the man we've been waiting for for a long, long time. Jewish people, right? What a thrilling time. Would this be the time, this God-man, Jesus would take his rightful place on the world stage, overthrow the nasty Romans, get them off of the back, out of our territory, and establish his kingdom. Now, at this point, the disciples have been following Jesus for about two years. Understand where we are in the story. They had suffered the sting of ridicule and rejection and people laughing and scorning as they followed this rabbi teacher going around doing all this weird stuff. But now the crowd was finally behind their guy, their candidate for king. Elections coming up. Jesus, what better time would be than right now? Right now. Jesus, make your move. You've got thousands of people on your side. And so Jesus responds in a little different kind of way. He says, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, he withdrew again to a mountain by himself. What? Why is he doing this? It sounds so bizarre. Why would he go away? Instead, Jesus pulled his disciples away and made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side. Hmm. First of all, let's look closer and start with a boat. Now, this was a common fishing boat of the first century. Very familiar to brothers Andrew and Peter, uh, James and John. Uh, we were in Israel last year. Uh, this is actually a first century fishing boat. I couldn't believe how small it was. How small it was. And they were really crammed in this little teeny boat, right? Uh, and so uh, here they are in this boat, okay? Makes them get in the boat, go to the other side. The other side of what? The other side is the Sea of Galilee. Sea of Galilee. So if we're looking at geography, uh, when I was on the Sea of Galilee, I took this. It's really weird to stand there and watch and see what Jesus was looking at. But understand, when you say the Sea of Galilee, I was amazed, first of all, how small it is. How small it is. We think, Sea of Galilee. Now, Jesus' day is a body of water that was about 13 miles long and eight miles at its widest. Now, compare that with Lake Winnebago. How many of you have ever seen Lake Winnebago? Yeah, most all of us have, right? Lake Winnebago is 28 miles long and 10 miles wide. It's the widest point. Lake Winnebago is double the size of the Sea of Galilee. So, when you're thinking, put, begin to put things into perspective. The Sea of Galilee is not this massive kind of Lake Michigan kind of thing. It's just this little, yeah, it's just right there, 
right? Uh, it's, it's fascinating. Uh, it changed my thinking completely when I saw it. But anyway, Jesus made them get in the boat. He didn't ask. He made them get in the boat. Uh, NLT says he insisted they get into the boat. Uh, why would he do this? I'm thinking maybe Jesus saw his disciples hearing the crowd. We want to make you king. We want to make you king, Jesus. So the first thing he does, he says, uh-uh, guys, get in the boat. Get out of here. I don't want any part of this. I don't want any part of you getting seduced by this. Just get out of here. Get out of here. Go to the other side. Now, as we think about this, the Gospel of John identifies the other side, the specific destination, as Capernaum. Capernaum. Uh, Again, uh, some pictures that we took uh, of Capernaum. It's just a tiny little village. And and there in the village, they believe they found uh, Peter's mother-in-law's house where Jesus stayed frequently. And they got this big dome, dome shrine over it now, of course, and, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but it's interesting to see these are real places. This isn't make-believe fantasy. This is where Jesus actually walked and did his thing, right? Now, understand, though, that after launching his disciples and dismissing the crowd, he goes away. Now, it would have been a real short trip across the northern tip of the Sea of Galilee. The disciples would have done it, most of them many times, but he goes to a mountainside by himself to pray. Now, Jesus, understand, had little time for politics or the political plans of the people. We are consumed with politics, consumed with politics. Jesus had nothing to do with politics, nothing to do with politics or the political plans of people. Let's make you king. You can finally step into your throne. I got nothing to do with this. I'm out of here. I'm going to go pray. That's what I'm going to do. And so, man, as we're coming into this world of political division and and opinions and blah, 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 I choose to follow Jesus who had little time for politics or the political plans of people. Now, I'm not saying don't be informed. I'm not saying don't. But what I am saying is what I said last week. I don't want to hear any anti-Donald Trump speech in my presence. I'm just warning you because the first thing I will ask you, how much time have you spent on your knees praying for that man? Because that's what the Bible tells us to do, to pray for those in authority over us. Not condemn, not criticize, not blast them, not jump on bandwagons and what's the latest political rhetoric. The Bible tells us to pray for those in authority over us. How much time have you spent on your knees for the president of our country? That's what I ask. That's all I'm asking. So just avoid me, right? As we come into the elections in fall, because that's what I'm going to challenge you with. That's what I'm going to challenge you with. And I'm not really interested in your opinion at all. I'm not. I could care less. I care what he thinks. And I care what the Bible says that I'm to do and how I'm to respond. Otherwise, I'm just as tempted as anybody else to get caught up in all this stuff. Every decision becomes political. Jesus had no time for politics. He had no time for the political plans of people. He was on task and he wouldn't be diverted from what God sent him here to do. Now, his priority was staying connected with his father. That was through prayer. He often prayed alone. And so we read in our text, when evening came, Jesus was alone. Praying. 
wasn't watching Fox. He wasn't watching CNN. He wasn't doing all this kind of stuff. He was alone praying. When Jesus prayed, the disciples were already far away from land. So you got the picture. Jesus goes, it says mountainside. These are, big, these are hills. They're not mountains, right? So Jesus is up in the hills, and he's praying. And disciples going to the other side, and they're rolling like crazy, and the storm's coming. Bible says they were already far away from land while Jesus is up there by himself. John identifies this as about 25 or 30 stadia. That's about three and a half miles away. During a normal trip across the northern tip of the Sea of Galilee, they would have never traveled more than a mile or maybe two miles from shore. But now the storm comes up, carries the disciples several miles south. Now they're in the middle of the lake, right? And they are all disoriented. The storm is severe. The further they got away from shore, the closer they come to disaster. Right? So they're rolling like crazy. Storms getting heavy. All this kind of stuff. So here we find them rowing for their very lives in obedience to the Lord's command. Can you imagine what they're thinking? Jesus, why would you send us from you being coronated as our king? Right? Why would you send us away from that into this mess? I think we're going to die. This makes zero sense. Right? We're your followers. Why would you do this to us? So fear grips their minds. Their hearts confused. The night was dark. The sea was stormy. The situation was hopeless. But worst of all, where's Jesus? Where is he? What's going to happen? Now, during a similar stormy situation, we'll look at in a little different context, Jesus had simply stood up. Remember that? He was asleep in the back of the boat, just totally exhausted. Sleep in the back of the boat. Storm comes. And they wake him up, and what does he do in Matthew 8? What do you say? Peace, be still. And suddenly, the wind stopped, and the water was calm, right? But now he's very, very far away, and they're in a very, very risky place. So how are they going to handle it? What are they going to do? Stay tuned next week for the continuation of the story, all right? But for now, maybe you sense you're in a risky place in your life. Maybe you're in a risky place in your life. What are you going to do? How are we going to handle this? That's what we're going to be talking about over the next weeks. Some of you in this room have a perception that we're in a risky place as a church. And you know what? We are. And I like it. There's talk of a possible relocation. Search has begun for a new change in pastors over the next months and years. Yeah, it's a risky place. It's a risky time. It's a good place to be. It's an excellent place to be. My experience after 36 years of ministry is that very little happens of any significance in an individual life family, a church, or an organization that does not involve taking risks. Nothing of significance is going to happen without taking risks. I want huge God things to happen in your life. I do. I pray for that. I want huge God things to happen in our lives collectively as a church family. That involves taking risks. I want you to be able to accomplish great things for the kingdom of God. That's why he puts you here. Not simply to survive, but to thrive, right? 
things you dream about for the cause of Christ, to make an impact and influence for him, to leave a dent in this world in the few years we have, right? I want us to do it together also for his glory. So do we find ourselves in a risky place? Yeah, we are. That's a great place to be. Are you ready for it? And so that's the intent of this series over the summer. How do we process all this? And we'll begin looking at Peter's response. In the middle of the storm, they took a huge risk. And watch what God can do. Wow. I'm encouraged. I'm excited. I'm grateful. I want God to do great things. I know you do as well. Yeah? A little bit of uncertainty. Yeah, a little bit of, mm, I don't know, I don't know. Yeah, I have the same kinds of thoughts, believe me, believe me. But that's got to drive us back to him, back to prayer, back to the word, back to God, where are you? What do you want for us in all of this? What are you saying? What are you doing? I just want to follow you in your plan. So do it individually in your life and in your family. Take the risk. If you've prayed about it, if you've counted the cost, if you sense that God is in this, believe him for great things, for big things. Watch what he can do. I'm absolutely convinced some exciting days are just around the corner. Well, lots more to come. Stay tuned. Uh, We're off the ground. We've defined some terms. We're just kind of getting our feet wet with where we're headed. Uh, But that'll be our topic for the summer. You guys ready for it? Yeah, good. Good, good.